Welcome back to NL Newsday. I am Jeff Andreas filling in for Brett Manier while he takes the day off. He'll be back here tomorrow. Now, BC's highest court has determined that a person with a cell phone that has disabling software cannot use that as a defense against distracted driving. It stems from a finding by the BC Court of Appeal in the case of a Crown Appeal of a Vancouver Island man who was found not guilty of distracted driving despite the fact that he was seen by police holding a cell phone on top of his steering wheel. He had said that he was reaching for some papers on his passenger seat that he wanted to look at and the smartphone was on top of the paperwork so he was moving the phone out of the way when the police officer in question here saw that action take place. To talk a little bit more about this, I am joined on the line by Acumen Law's Kyla Lee. Kyla, how are you today? I'm not bad, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yes, thanks for coming back, as usual. Now, okay, so this particular instance, I mean, we're talking about disabling software, and initially it was found not guilty, but then I guess the Court of Appeal sort of overruled that. I mean, I'll just ask by getting your, or start here, excuse me, by getting your reaction to that. Were you surprised to see this uh, particular instance kind of overruled when talking about this disabling software? I wasn't surprised because... I can understand the sort of legal analysis that the Court of Appeal did to get to the conclusion that they came to in the case. Um, But I was disappointed because I think it's not really in keeping with the spirit of what the distracted driving laws are trying to prevent to say if you have disabling software that keeps you from being able to text the call, the use your GPS, use any of the features of your phone, you can still be guilty just because you picked up your phone momentarily without any interest in the phone itself. So, I mean, that seems like it should be something that would be a perfectly good defense when we're talking about distracted driving. I cannot use my phone, therefore, how can I be distracted by it? I mean, this seems like something that should be almost an encouraged software, piece of software to use uh, when you are driving to make sure that, you know, you're not even really tempted to use your phone. Well, the ironic part about this is that it is an encouraged piece of software. ICBC um, was experimenting a little while ago with a pilot project um, involving drivers where they encouraged them to download these disabling um, software, and they were trying to look at a a way that they could offer insurance discounts or some type of incentive to people to use immobilizing software in their car while they were driving so that they wouldn't engage in distracted driving. But now, apparently, the law says it wouldn't matter anyway, you'd still be in violation of the law. I guess in this particular case, right, the guy did have the cell phone in his hand, right? He said he was moving it off of these papers that he was trying to look at, um, and that's why the phone was in his hand at the time of question. I guess this kind of is a lesson to be learned in the sense that, you know, doesn't matter what precautions you have in place to make sure you're not being distracted by your phone. If you're holding it in your hand, you know, you're, you're not really in a good position to defend yourself. Well, exactly. I mean, this this sort of clarifies the law to the extent that you can't touch the phone. If, if you want to have your phone in your car, you'd better have it in a place where it's not making any type of physical contact with your body. And you'd better make sure that you don't make any physical contact with it other than the one touch that's permitted to end or accept or initiate a call um, while, you're, while you're driving. Um, and I think it, it's inherently frustrating for a lot of people because if you pick up a can of pop or a coffee or your wallet while you're driving, all of those things are perfectly lawful. And when you're using a phone that's disabled by holding it, you're not doing anything differently than if you were picking up any of those objects. They're no more or less distracting than the phone once it's got this disabling software on it. 
So, is there anything, I guess, that can be done in, partic- in as it pertains to this use of software? Is there, you think, uh, uh, any sort of opportunity down the road where this could be? Uh, if it is something that is mandated by ICBC, which, you know, is totally something that I could see being plausible down the road at some point once, you know, bugs are figured out and there's a, you know, a universal piece of software that can be used, that this would be something that would be on most people's phones to make sure you cannot use your phone while driving. I guess it would come down to, you know, if you're at a certain speed, then you're no longer able to use your your device. Uh, do you see this as something that could be in the future a mandatory and be, you know, maybe potentially be a defense down the road? Obviously not in this particular case, and it's not going to happen in the not-too-distant future, but down the road, do you think there's some, some legitimacy to these being a, a plausible defense at some point in the future? I think it's going to have to be because uh, with the cell phone cases, as the law has been developing and as we've had commentary from the Court of Appeal about these issues and, and the BC Supreme Court, we've seen a large amount of public reaction crying out at the absurdity of the way the law is drafted. It's going to need a complete overhaul because eventually the public's going to lose complete confidence in the distracted driving law as it's written. So eventually we're going to have to get to a point where it's overhauled and hopefully it's in the not-too-distant future, because as our technology changes and makes us more capable of doing things while we're driving, our law can and should adapt to respond to that technology. Right now, we're dealing with a law that hasn't substantially changed other than to increase penalties since 2010 when it came into effect. And in the last decade, we've seen huge advances insofar as, as disabling software on cell phones, as well as everything that your phone can do and how you can command and control your phone without even touching it. Um, with respect to changing the law, you mentioned it's been 2010, so 10 years, a decade, since we've really revisited and, and changed the law outside of increasing fines and increasing penalties for using your phone. So with that in mind... Um, you know, how how can you go about reviewing something like this? Because it needs to be something like when you're talking about the advances in technology, it happens so rapidly and it happens so frequently that it's really difficult, I would imagine, for the laws to keep up with the changing technology. Do you think there's maybe a program or some sort of policy review timeline that should be in place so that these laws are reviewed on a more frequent basis? Because when we're talking about something that's 10 years old, but especially when we're talking about something that pertains to technology, that is a long time. Legislatures across the country should be committing to reviewing laws that pertain to our use of technology in society on a regular basis because technology is adapting so quickly. We don't want the law to be left behind um, where it no longer makes sense in the face of the types of technology that we have and the types of technology that we use. And I think it would be appropriate for governments to undertake to do a thorough review every two years, for example, of laws that impact upon technological issues and see where advances and changes can be made to make the law fit better with what people are actually doing with technology and the way that technology is impacting our lives at the moment. Yes, it's a lot of work for the legislature, but um, you know that's the job that they're supposed to be doing for taxpayers, and that's the job that we're entrusting them to do when we elect them. Now, we've obviously, you and I have had a number of conversations. I mean, this is your specialty, right? When talking about driving issues, distracted driving, DUIs, those kinds of things. Uh, but, but specifically when talking about the issue of distracted driving, I think a lot of people just want to see rules 
that are black and white. What can I do? What can I not do? And it should be a pretty straight line in terms of if you cross that line, yes, you're in violation. And if you stay on the other side, then yeah, you're, you're fine. You're not being distracted. Do you ever foresee a time when there can be some black and white rules pertaining to distracted driving with the thing that we're talking about with advances in technology uh, being so rapid? It's like you mentioned there, it's really hard to keep up with what's going on. Yes, there is some, um, you know, guidelines or, or, or suggestions that you have put out there on how we can go about making sure our laws are kept up to date, but do you ever foresee a time when rules are, you know, black and white and and really easy to to define what is right and what is wrong? Absolutely. And it's not that difficult to to draft a black and white law that would withstand the changes in technology. If the legislature wanted, they could write a law that says you must put your phone in your glove box or somewhere out of sight in your vehicle where it is not accessible to you while you're driving. And that would solve all of the problems of whether or not you're allowed to touch it, whether or not it's allowed to be in the cup holder, whether it can be resting on your lap. It would solve all of that confusion. It would be black and white, and it would be completely independent of how much technology you have. If you can't reach your phone, you can't touch it. Anything else you can do with it, you can do through voice commands or whatever technology exists that allows you to use it, but it's out of sight, out of mind, out of your hand. It sounds so simple, and yet it's taken so long to get to, to something like that, and who knows how long it will take to get to those black and white rules. But I think it would make things a lot easier, not only for people who want to abide, uh, abide by the law, but also for those who are enforcing it, right? When we're talking about law enforcement, talking about police, I think it would probably make their jobs a lot easier as well if it was a, a pretty straight set of rules. Oh, Absolutely. Uh, we did want to talk a little bit as well. You, you had mentioned to me, you know, how can people protect themselves when protesting? Obviously, that's sort of the, the topic of the month right now when we're talking about what's going on in the United States. And of course, that has trickled up here to Canada as well, talking about the movement when it comes to Black Lives Matter. We're seeing a lot of people gathering and a number of issues that people have when it comes to potentially getting in trouble with, if you will, with the police when they do attend these rallies. What What is your advice to people who are planning to attend? Um, obviously, they're just trying to throw their voice behind what is a, a really important cause, I think, right now. But nobody wants to really, you know, have to face any repercussions for trying to help out with the movement. So what tips do you have for those who are planning to attend rallies here in the future? Well, number one, wear a mask. Because wearing a mask is not only going to protect you from being in a large group and violating the public health order that says that you're not supposed to gather in groups of more than 50, but it's also going to protect you from being identified. Um, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to frustrate any facial recognition software that police are using. It's going to make it more difficult to identify you if you're captured in a photo. And we know that police and government agencies are surveilling these, acti- um, these activities and these protests. Um, trying to identify troublemakers. And if you're caught in a photo standing next to somebody who might be uh, there for the purposes of causing trouble, you don't want to get caught up in you know, their badness just because you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And so wearing a mask protects you from that potential. Yeah, another good tip. Go, go ahead. ahead, sorry. I was going to say, another good tip is to make sure to turn your phone, um, all of your location services off, um, log out of all your signed-in accounts, like your email and everything that you've synced to your phone, log out of all of that. Because if police do arrest you and seize your phone, um, they're not going to be able to access as much about you through your phone. Make sure it's password protected. And also, um, when location services are off, they're not going to be able to watch your phone being pinging from various cell towers. 
So when it comes to that, I'll, I'll get back to the initial point here in a minute, but just uh, when you're talking about location software on your phone, um, is there an easy way to do that? Is it a matter of maybe taking the battery out of your phone? Because when you're talking about, um, you know, logging out of all the apps and stuff, that is a very extensive process. I don't remember all my passwords to all my things necessarily. It's not going to be the easiest if I go about doing that to get back into all my stuff and a very time-consuming process as well. Is there another thing that anyone can do? Is it a matter of maybe taking the battery out of your phone? Obviously, leaving at home is probably the easiest thing to do. But uh, any anything else besides uh, all that, you know, work with logging out and disabling location services and all of that. If you put your phone in airplane mode, um, it's not going to connect to GPS or to um, any uh, cell towers, but you can still connect to lo- local Wi-Fi connections. So if there's like a Starbucks or a business nearby that has free Wi-Fi, you can still get on Wi-Fi. You can still use iMessage and WhatsApp to communicate with people, but you won't actually be pinging off towers and providing information about where you are at any particular point in time. Perfect. That makes a lot more sense. That's a really easy thing to do. It takes one click of a button, and uh, then you can still, you know, Take your videos, take your pictures of, of these events that you wish to attend and, and put those out on social media at, at whatever point in time you feel like doing so, because that seems to be the, the main point, I guess, of, of going out and taking the images that people are getting is to you know show that you were there and show that you were a part of the movement. And I wanted to go back to that first part you made about wearing a mask and, and even with this location services advice that you've given here as well. When we're saying those things, it sounds like, you know, you're probably going to get in trouble and this is a way to help you avoid getting, you know, recognized as being a troublemaker. And you you touched on it a little bit, but I just wanted you to reiterate your point. You're not saying go out and cause a whole bunch of destruction, but make sure you wear a mask so that you can't get caught. This is about if you're around people who are potentially going to cause some trouble that you won't be associated with them. Exactly. It's it's this problem that we see at a lot of protests where people attend the protests pretending like they're part of the movement, but they're actually there to cause uh, the, the violence and the rioting and the looting. And we've seen this with lots of the protests that have been happening in the United States. There's groups of people who show up and their sole mission is to cause mayhem and destruction. And you don't want to be mistakenly associated with those people because you're depicted in a photograph standing close to them or having conversation with them because you met at the protest and you're, you know, sharing your interests and then all of a sudden become implicated in unlawful conduct when you're just there trying to peacefully protest. Perfect. Well, I think that's some good advice for people to remember if they are planning to go out. Thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate our uh, weekly Monday chats. We missed last week, but we had Paul Doroshenko fill in for you then. And uh, yeah, glad to see you're you're back here and that we're able to continue these uh, Monday chats that we have on a regular basis. So thanks so much for doing this. And I look forward to chatting with you again next week. Well, thanks for having me.